What's happening, everybody? You are rolling with the Roadhogs. I'm Roger. I'm Marlon. And today, it's just idle chatter. It's just idle chatter. Just, you know, just come hang out with us for a little bit. Marlon's got a drink. I got a drink. And just kind of, you know, just, just hang out and listen to us just wax philosophical about the car industry and things that we wish would happen, things that we hate happen. And, you know, we're just wilding out today, guys. Yeah. So, like Roger said, it's a free for all. We're talking about some stuff and. <laughs> <laughs> we just decided to hit record and pick up where we left off and, and just wing it. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, remember to catch us on, on the interwebs, flagguydrives.com, and on Instagram, at flagguydrives. All right, flagguydrives.com slash the Roadhogs. All right, so let me catch everybody up now. Let me catch everybody up now, okay? So Marlon and I were up to this point talking about the current state of, of SUVs, and we began by talking about you know, the fact that there's this relatively new segment that's really starting to be tapped. And it's not even really a new segment. It's something that the Jeep uh, Wrangler occupied for years, right? Mostly unchallenged. And until recently, well, recently now, with Ford coming out with the Bronco and the Bronco Sport, that there is now a challenger to the Wrangler on its own, on those terms, on the same terms. And where other challenges in that space could possibly lie. So we're talking about a relatively inexpensive, not luxury, but supremely practical go-anywhere SUV. Not the mom and pop take, soccer mom take the kids to the track and have to house, you know, a whole family in the car, taking them back and forth between school and work. And uh, this is a true, we're talking about true off-road vehicles that are made with certain, you know, creature comforts that are there for convenience, not luxury, right? So there's the Wrangler, there's a new Bronco that's coming out. Mara and I were talking about what other automaker could stand to, to compete in that space. And I came up with, I was like, well, you know, I don't know that there's anywhere, anything else that has the sort of brand cachet that the Wrangler and the Bronco have, like the deep historical sort of like the cachet, there's the, you know, the weight and recognition. But there's one company that <laughs> we, Mara and I take turns dumping on out there that could realistically come into the space. Toyota already tried it with the FJ Cruiser, so let's just get that out of the way. They already did that with the FJ Cruiser. It was ahead of its time. It's, it's no more. But one company that could come in now and challenge them on those terms is Nissan, right? And I know if you guys remember the Xterra from back in the early aughts that was alive until like, what, 2010, 11, something like that, Marlon? Uh, like 2015, I believe, was when they came out. No, so, so it's relatively recent, right? Mm-hmm. I think Nissan, if they were to enter into that segment, they could do it with the Xterra. And because they don't have, I mean, the Xterra is a fairly recent vehicle, recent make or model, I should say. It doesn't have that sort of deep name recognition. Like people remember the Xterra, but it doesn't have that same sort of like mm, that the American Bronco and the Wrangler have, right? Therefore, it doesn't have any expectation of what it should be. Like it needs to look a certain way and do certain things. No, I think Nissan is in a, whether they realize it or not, Nissan is in a pretty unique position to be able to really compete with in that segment with a new Xterra and they can make it what they can make it look amazing, different, and really kind of like blow the, blow the, even the, the, the current Bronco or the incoming Bronco out of the water if Nissan plays their cards right. You talk about brand recognition. You know, of course, we all know Land Rover is out there. We're trying to keep it affordable here. Yeah. Okay. So in that sense, 
you talk about brand recognition. No, I don't think any automaker is going to have the brand recognition that Jeep has. It's just not possible. No. You know, Jeep comes from World War II, okay? The Bronco started, I think, in either the late 60s, early 70s. So there's brand recognition on both fronts that not many other automakers are going to even approach. Yeah. Right? I mean, Jeeps, um, remember for the longest while, you know, remember when we were kids in Jamaica, Mar, any 4 by 4 we saw, we called that Jeep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. Jeep was just a generic term for a 4 by 4 Right? So no other automaker is going to come close to that. Toyota has a Land Cruiser, but that's, one, no longer on sale, and two, it's expensive. And if you know Toyota Land Cruisers, even the used ones are up there in expense, right? Because they're just capable vehicles. They're capable bulletproof vehicles. Yeah, the old ones. Um, the only other one in Toyota's product line that comes close to brand recognition is the Forerunner. And the Forerunner is a again, it might not be a go anywhere vehicle in the same vein as a Wrangler, but it I think it comes close. Really comes awfully close. Right. We touched on Nissan's Xterra because the Xterra is so you know back then when it when it was introduced was supposed to be a competitor it was rather a competitor to the forerunner it had nissan knocked it out the park when it for when it was first introduced it it had a certain look it had a certain equipment package that you know every exterior is supposed to come with even when they redesigned it in 2000 i believe 2007 2008 Mm -hmm. after the new frontier came after the current frontier came out it had a look, I mean, the roof rack was, I mean, I don't want to say borderline iconic, but when you think of an Xterra, that's what you think of. Yeah, that, that roof rack was beefy as hell. Right? Even, you, you know, it came standard with the vehicle. And it was a certain amount of off-road prowess that it rivaled the Forerunner with. So is the market ripe for somebody to come in and challenge the, the Bronco and the Wrangler? Absolutely. I think that if Nissan walks that line, because even the dealers are crying out for, for, for some kind of off-road vehicle in their lineup No, I think if Nissan walks that line with the Xterra, brings it back to what people remember it being as, because, you know, the Xterra people are crying out for something new right now, Nissan will have a hit on their hands. I don't think they have to go as crazy as the Bronco, because the Bronco really has its own look that, you know, Ford was kind of staying close to the original in, in, that, in, in that realm. Mm. But the Xterra has a certain look that I don't want to say is iconic, but people remember. When people think of an Xterra, that's that shape that they're looking at. So it's absolutely a great time to bring that nameplate back. Bring it back in the same off-roady, you know, off-road prowess, rugged, off-road kind of thing that, you know, the name is known for. Yeah. (laughs) It was kind of sad to see the original Xterra go because... You know, it was a really good, cheap SUV that didn't pretend to be anything other than a cheap SUV, right? When I say cheap, I don't mean cheap in, I mean, I mean cheap as in like affordable, not, not and, and it didn't pretend to be like a luxury car that um, most SUVs had already been going in that direction. Yeah, um, it's not pretending to be anything other than what it is. Other than what it is. And yeah, it did. It definitely was a very capable vehicle. It didn't have the same sort of options, aftermarket options available at the time that the Forerunner or the Wrangler had at the time. But, you know, it's still, you could, I mean, there's a Nissan, like, you could you could find parts for it anywhere. So it was cheap to own and cheap to repair and, and definitely still um, very, very reliable. Not Toyota levels of reliable, reliability, but still leagues more reliable than a, comp, than a, you know, 
comparably capable Land Rover, right? <laughs> Land Rover reliability. <laughs> I'm very eager to hear Doug's report in the next. So, <laughs> so look, we brought this up in the context that the Bronco is out, the Forerunner is there, the Wrangler is there, the Wrangler is its own animal out there, and we started thinking, but wait. So Ford brought the Bronco back, you know, and there are other off-road centric vehicles in their lineup, you know, the F-150 Raptor, which, you know, the new version just came out a couple of days ago in an effort to take their crown back from the Ram T, from the Ram T-Rex. And I can't wait to see if, if the new Raptor has any, has any Easter eggs <laughs> to, it's gonna, to compare with the T-Rex. It's gonna, it's but, gonna, but wait, 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 I think we forgot something. I think we forgot. We were talking about something else before we got to the, the Raptor though, right? Remember, we're talking about GM's GM. Yeah, we're talking about you know which vehicles were were were, were forward thinking, or which manufacturers rather were the most forward thinking. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. All right. All right, guys. So I know we're going kind of back and forth here, but just bear with us. Just grab a drink, you know, drink and cool out, man. Just chill. Just cool out. We're we're going kind of back and forth here. Just kind of bear with us and follow, and try to follow along. You know, part of the conversation started with which manufacturers are were the most forward thinking, and which were just you know more conservative and if you remember the pontiac aztec the pontiac aztec was a very yes say what you will about the looks we all have our <laughs> opinions on that word timeless <laughs> right but looking past the looks the aztec was a very very forward-thinking vehicle you know things like speakers that hinged out of the tailgate you know if you wanted to tailgate for example for example had the cooler between the front seats that was air conditioned i believe you had the you had the extendable tent so you could like extendable tent i'm only brushing the tip of the icebergs in terms of the the features that were in that vehicle that were so far thinking no the dual tailgate right yeah the well the dual tailgate well the dual tailgate was was already a, a land rover yeah but it was cool. land rover thing had it but important the point we're trying to make is that gm was a very forward thinking manufacturer at the time and what we've come to realize is that as soon as they bring out something that, oh, it's going to be great, it's far thinking, that's all these features, we kind of stand back and look at it and we're like, what the hell were you thinking? And as a result, GM's like, oh, we probably shouldn't have come up with that too soon. These vehicles tend to be ahead of their time. Yeah. You, so know, you know, things like a, like a chill cooler between the front seats and those things are everywhere now, 20 years later. Yeah, so so the, so the basic premise is that we're looking back at the at the past twenty thirty years of GM in particular, um, with American manufacturers in general, and seeing that after all the crap that we've given them over the past few years in particular, but looking across it, maybe it's, maybe the reason that their approach to to us as consumers and um, by extension us as as enthusiasts, we caused that right. Because they come up with something forward-thinking and 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 in, really honestly, objectively innovative, like the Aztec, and we collectively take a shit on it. It doesn't sell any, and then they recall and then go back into their shell and start making crappy, you you know, crappy basic cars to recoup whatever development costs that they they had on the, you know, the new hotness that they tried to hit us with, and then we get pissed off because they don't innovate. So they innovate, and when they innovate, we're not we're unsatisfied. And when we're on set, when we express our dissatisfaction, they go back to making boring cars. And then we're like, we're dissatisfied again because they're making boring cars. Why don't they innovate? 
it's a devastating cycle. This yeah, is we're not doing ourselves as as consumers or, or or enthusiasts any favors, and we're not helping. I mean, not saying that we should be out, you know, trying to you know shovel food into GM's mouth or anything, but we're not helping them when everything we're not you know taking the time to really evaluate vehicles and products on their own merits. Um, but that said, so, the Aztec is a unique beast. Absolutely, it, it's way ahead of its time and a lot of the a lot of the ideas that showed up first in the aztec or probably first and most prominently in the aztec later on showed up in later models that were way more successful from other manufacturers like the uh honda element for example right um, the sound um toyota sound brand took a couple of cues from aztec as well even the xterra even the xterra at the time took some cues from the from the aztec so you know, I know the Aztec is a kind of it's kind of has a cult status right now. So, so that being so, so that being said, Roger, you know, manufacturers there there's some manufacturers that are more forward thinking than others, right? And we're talking American manufacturers here. Yeah, yeah. So GM came up with the the Pontiac Aztec, late nineties in the late nineties, right? Chrysler came up with the minivan. The Dodge Caravan, Chrysler Pacifica, whatever you want to call it. Well, that was, was a Voyager. Voyager. Which today, a couple of my friends have bought. You're welcome. <laughs> so which manufacturer would you say is the most forward thinking? Which one of them is the most conservative? I mean, you can't leave Chrysler kind of out of it right now. No, no, no. Still, like, we can include Chrysler because Chrysler. All right, let's include, all right, let's include Chrysler. So which one of the three do you think is the most forward thinking? I'm going to include Chrysler just to say that, you know, no, just to be like, just to give them an incomplete grade because they've been, they've been through so much over the last few decades, over the last two decades as a company that it's sort of hard to even call them an American company, company anymore. <laughs> True. So I know you wanted to leave Chrysler out of it, but I'm going to include them and then dismiss them immediately. The <laughs> <laughs> so really it's between Ford and GM, right? And I think for the most part, let's give it some historical context for the most part. Especially because, you know, we're talking about our, our era here when we were really conscious of this stuff. Um, through the 90s, Ford and GM were kind of like tit for tat, right? They were sort of doing the same things um, in general, even though GM obviously had the, 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 the way larger brand portfolio. But they were sort of doing the same things, right? They had the same ideas. And they've had the same sort of ideas and the same sort of approach to the consumer, to the American consumer market. And until it wasn't until they were like seriously challenged and having noticed that all their sales numbers were dropping off and all their international competitors were picking up where they were dropping, you know, when they realized that they had to do something different and their way to do things different was, was to cost cut across the board. And that's how you end up with badge engineering and, and, and just shoddy, terrible build quality and just poor performance in terms, in terms of actual on-road performance and reliability. And I think one, only one of those companies in the lead up, I think the, 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 the financial crisis of 2008 was a huge sort of wake, I don't even want to call it a wake up call, but it was gigantic, right? Because the auto industry was one of the most heavily hit in that time. I remember, if I remember correctly, when the government decided to bail out the auto industry, GM took the bailout, but Ford did not, which is interesting in and of itself. So that probably gives you an indication of where I'm going with this, right? Over the years since, 
only one of those companies has actually, and this is in retrospect now, has made a deliberate, has, has exhibited anything that, that you can identify as a deliberate strategy moving forward, while the other one was sort of just chasing trends. And if you look at where they both are now, you already know where who, who the one that has been deliberate and in strategically deft and adroit, and the other one is just kind of like to this day sort of floundering and trying to catch its breath and trying to catch find the wind in its sails. Ford now has made some very bold moves, right, in the last few years, from dropping sedans and coupes and cars altogether from their product lineup. Right, passenger cars from their from their lineup and only only having SUVs, other than the Mustang, I should say, point out. And only having SUVs, right, and trucks. Whereas GM is like, we're gonna keep on selling the same things to the same people. And not even be really like they'll be competitive, but none of their products are best in their class. With probably one notable exception. But generally, none of their products are best in class. And it shows. So with the auto industry right now, probably in the at entering into the most significant era of change since the 1970s, Ford is the one that's most that's in the best place right now to take advantage of it. Whereas GM, going back to what we spoke about last week, is just now making announcements and intentions to really catch up what do you say to that you know so so answering answering the original question you know which one of the two is the most forward thinking so not so so what you're basically what you're saying is ford is the most forward thinking of the two yeah yeah ford ford is the more forward thinking of of the two and and gm is i I don't know if you want to even say necessarily that gm is conservative but gm is ford ford is the more conservative company when i and when i say conservative i mean in terms of their approach to business they're they always seem to have cash on hand. You know what I mean? To make any sort of... So when I say conservative, that's what I mean. We talked about car manufacturers innovating and, and building products that would appeal to a certain audience, case in point, Aztec. But then we pan them for it when it comes out because either we don't like the packaging or we don't appreciate the features of said vehicle. And then they take that criticism and they revert back to being, oh, we're, you know, we're just going to sell cars and trucks that appeal to the general population. So that's what I mean when I say which car manufacturers, and I guess this could be a time frame thing as well, because back in the day, GM was innovative. Yeah. Right? Aztec is a perfect example. It's just one example. Mm-hmm. Ford is conservative, but they're more strategic about where they're going in the future. I think that might be what you're trying to say then is that Ford is conservative, but they're more forward thinking in terms of what they're going to do in the future. They're thinking a a few steps ahead. Like they're thinking in increments of five and 10 years, where I think, whereas I think five, 10, 15, 20 years, whereas I think Jim is sort of thinking more incrementally in like the next one to two years, right? Because if you look at how the, the sort of products that GM has introduced, right? And we're going to go, we're going to bring this back to the, the SUVs, right? I think you said it when we were speaking earlier, Marlon, that, that, like, that Ford caught GM flat-footed with the whole Bronco thing. 
right? And I, and that was a really that was a really strong point. Like that was a really good good thing to point out because, like we said, we're saying at the top of this that Nissan is a company that probably is in the best position to enter into that you know fairly untapped space, right? It's it's, it's a very narrow space, but one that has has a lot of room for competition. Yeah, and. Nissan with a potential external would be great to put in there. But don't forget that GM also has something that they could, like a really strong brand name that they could have brought back. But unfortunately, because of their approach over the last few decades, that brand name is, they, they sort of diluted that, that make, right? In, in the Blazer. The, I remember Blazers back in college, the two-door Blazers and the, the truck variant the S10. Those cars were maybe not like super hot, but... They were desirable, they were attractive, they were unique, right? Especially the two-door blazer. And it sort of carried the same cachet as a Bronco would have back in the day, you know? Well, stick up in what you're saying. Remember, the, the Bronco was almost like a full-size two-door SUV, mm-hmm. right? The blazer, before it became the, the Ford Explorer fighting kind of, kind, of, kind of SUV, was a competitor to the original Bronco. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? So... Just to put that into perspective, and even when the Blazer became like a compact crossover, I'm um, compact SUV rather than the same vein, or I'm sorry, mid-size SUV because SUVs and crossovers aren't the same thing. Making a mid-size SUV in the vein of like say, a Ford Explorer, it was still a rugged vehicle, and right? there was still some name recognition attached to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. So let's try to make that distinction there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank right? you. Mm. Thank you. So yes, yes, but the, the point still still stands, right? The Blazer in its former clothes would have been something that they could have brought back and challenged the, the new Bronco, right? But right now, it's just a pudgy, overweight, you know, soccer mom car. That vaguely resembles a Camaro. Right. So in other words, in other words, GMs, and they did this with all their actual brands, right? With all their, their, their makes. They sort of did this, where they diluted them to the point where they were no longer recognizable or distinct from each other. So... And that's what kind of what's happened with the with the blazer. Like, it's, you just look at what Ford is doing now, and then look across the look across the street at GM, and like, yo, this is a missed opportunity on you guys' part. And here's the thing, too. I I won't say it started with the Bronco. It started maybe ten years earlier, when this is about two thousand four, two thousand five, right? Ford was figuring out we need to do another F one fifty Lightning. But they weren't sure if it should, you know, they came up with some concepts and they were like, well, maybe because the, the F-150 at the time was a, was a heavy vehicle. It was like darn near 6,000, 7,000 pounds. And they were like, well, there's no way we can make an, this F-150, this current F-150 handle like the F-150 prior. But it's not, it's not a light vehicle. So rather than make it a high-powered street vehicle in the vein of a Ram SRT10, let's make it an off-road vehicle. Mm-hmm. And what we have right now is the F-150 Raptor, which for the last 10 years has not had a competitor, right? GM could have made a competitor to that car, to that truck. They could have. They really could have. It's not like they didn't have the resources to. They did. But for whatever reason, they just thought, yeah, we'll just give them a trim package and yeah, it's just like, like they... and, 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 and be done with it, right? 
Chrysler, or let me say Fiat Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler Automotive, which is no Stellantis. That's just FCA. That's just FCA. Fiat Chrysler was like, hmm, we're in the middle of Hellcatting everything. Let's <laughs> drop a Hellcat in the RAM and let's make a competitor to the Raptor. <laughs> they looked across their lineup and said, what, what happened? We, what haven't we Hellcatted yet? <laughs> and I said, the most obvious thing we haven't Hellcatted yet is the RAM. And then they looked at the Raptor. Let's, they had, they had a, a Raptor drove by and they're like, why haven't we done that yet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So while the current F-150 Raptor is puddling along with a twin turbo V6 engine, I'm just like, nah, son. We're dropping a Hellcat in this RAM. <laughs> we're going to make it as off-road as possible, and we're going to call it the TRX. Get it? T-Rex? <laughs> we're so <laughs> We're so and Right? So... And, and again, bear in mind, this is within the last 10 years, okay? General Motors had an opportunity. And it's not like the Bronco came out yesterday. No. Ford's been, been talking about the Bronco for the last five years. So GM had every opportunity to come out with something that was off-roady and fun that wasn't a Corvette or a Camaro, okay? And I think the closest thing they came to that was... Uh, they call it the ZR2 Bison. It's a Colorado variant that comes with bigger tires, has the um the roll bars in the bed, and has a front skid plate. That's the closest they've come to having something that's fun. But it's not a Raptor. It's not a Bronco. It's not a Ram T-Rex. It's not a beast. You need a beast. It's not. It's not. Why don't you it's just not, right? and, 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 so, and drop a... <laughs> a corvette engine in there come on guys like you have a supercharged 6.2 liter engine that's already in a camaro just drop the ls in there what are you playing just just drop a big old supercharger on top of the lsv8 and let's call it a day what, 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 what we're doing? and it's not like silverado doesn't already run some version naturally aspirated version of that same engine so right so i mean but we're not saying you know, we're not saying is that Lino. why ever ford does gym needs to match and and, and be lockstep with that right but the funny thing, even though we're saying yet, yeah, we're not yeah, they should do everything that Ford is doing. That's why it's kind of coming off as right now, right? But the funny thing is that they're looking at all the international automakers, all the other all the other um, companies, and they're doing what those guys are doing, which is putting them in a worse position. They're trying to compete with Cadillac on the same terms as for the longest while, for the last fifteen years, I've been trying to put um, position Cadillac next to Mercedes, Audi, BMW, right? Some of those cars have come close, but none of them have, have been the best. Look at Chevy, right? Chevy is basically doing the same thing that Toyota, Honda, and Hyundai are doing, right? But as Marlon said in his review, the Malibu is merely a competent competitor, even though he said it way nicer than I just did, right? But the Malibu is just, is the Malibu that also ran alongside the, the, the standouts from, you know, the Hondas and the, I mean, the Accords and the Camrys and the, now, now the Kias and Hyundais. The Kias and Hyundais of the world, <laughs> you know. So, what, what else? What are we missing? The trucks are competing alongside the, alongside all the other trucks. Whatever, right? So GM doesn't really have anything that I can think of of its own, except the Corvette. Pretty much, the Corvette is the only feather in GM's cap right no. now. 
you know? In the same way that the Wrangler is its own beast, the Corvette really is its own thing. Right. Right. It stands alone and apart. But the question because, was, but the question mm-hmm. now that the Corvette is moving into like this, it's, now it's occupying like a whole new space, I want to say, right? As yes. The affordable supercar. I know that's what right. I was going for before, but now that they moved the mid-engine, like, yeah, it's a supercar. Let's stop playing, okay? It may not cost $200,000, but it's a supercar. Let's, let's just dispense with the elitist bullshit. But now that, now that the Corvette is in that space, is it really still its own thing? Corvettes are just going to get more expensive. They're going to start costing the desire, the truly desirable ones are going to start costing well into well, well over a hundred thousand dollar car. Well, they already are. Yeah, they're already going to cost over a hundred thousand dollars. The base price of a Corvette is like it's a tick below sixty thousand dollars, right? But tra- average transaction price now is some is, is closer to eighty or ninety thousand. Right, right. But what I'm saying is that as the Corvette matures, as the Corvette as the current Corvette matures, it's going to become more expensive. The same way how the GTR did back in the day. Yeah. Well, let's not get away from the primary argument here. What I'm saying is that now that the Corvette is is in this whole new space, and as far as I can see, it's going to keep on growing in that space. What else? Does GM have something for the common people, right? That is its own sort of thing. I mean, you could argue, and you know, I touched on this point earlier before, before we came on. You could argue that, you know, say what you will about GM positioning Cadillac as a BMW Mercedes fighter because it is in it's strictly in the luxury aspect of it. It is a BMW Mercedes fighter strictly in the luxury aspect of it. They announced, I want to say within the last six months or so, or possibly before, I could be wrong, that Cadillac would be going all electric. Like every single Cadillac moving forward would be all electric, right? And they previewed that with their Lyric concept vehicle. And it was kind of foreshadowed, we touched on this aspect a couple of episodes ago with their new naming strategy, whereas, you know, their cars would know instead of the, let's say, for example, CTS 35. 35 would denote the the displacement of the engine being at a 3.5 liter. But now they're not doing that. They're going to do a 400 or a triple digit um nameplate that denotes the newton meters of the power plant in question newton meters that it, it, it is a very effective way of measuring torque from an it's electric from an electrical vehicle because you know it, it, to, to talk about horsepower you get out of some crazy math that i don't know how to do <laughs> they, what i'm saying is that that naming strategy was for you know kind of foreshadowed where cadillac was going the direction cadillac was going to go in the future right, right? Okay. so there is some forward thinking as far as GM is concerned, but when you look at their when you look at Chevy's product line for that matter, as an example, there's nothing there. Besides the Corvette, there's really nothing else there because we touched on the Blazer, which is now a Ford Edge competitor. That could have been an off-road vehicle in the same vein as the Bronco. I think But it's not. Well, it's not. And then I had hope for maybe a trailblazer because there was a trim level in the, with, with the Blazer back like 30, 40 years ago. Call it, mm. There was a trim level called the Trailblazer, which was an off-road centric. The Trailblazer could have been the GM equivalent of the Bronco Sport. But no, it's not. It's a dinky little compact crossover with a measly two-liter engine that competes with the Ford Eco Sport. So, all right. So, so here it is now. Do you think that GM 
has sort of looked, done some self-examination and said, we need to really start innovating and stop playing catch up and me too. I think they have. They've resurrected the Hummer brand now, and it's now going to be not, it's not what Hummer was before, but it's still off-roady in that, in that rugged off-road electric sense. So I don't know if that's what they're going for with the new, with the new Hummer vehicle. Making a new second Cybertruck fighter. I think that's, I think but, that's a brilliant move. Right. So when you look at it from that, from that point of view, you could say that they're like, you know what, we need to bring innovation back. So maybe they've kind of come about face and they're like, okay, we've made vehicles for the masses. It's now time to innovate and, and try to bring back some technology and some forward thinking back to our lineup. So when they resurrected the Hummer, that was a step in the right direction. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the hope is that whatever technology that the Hummer comes out is going to filter down into the respective General Motors brands. I said last week that I think GM is on the right track. You, you, you were, <laughs> it sounds like you kind of like, without even realizing, you kind of like have come around a little bit on that. Where you're I mean, optimistic. I mean, I, I mean, I was, I think I came from a really good point of view that just knowing their history, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Fair. The Hummer is, the Hummer is a good first indication with the, I believe it was um, Cadillac CEO that said the new CT5V Blackwings that came, or CT, the CT Blackwings that came out a couple of days ago. I wrote a review on the website, guys, read it, that came out, will be the last performance, well, the last internal combustion powered performance vehicles that Cadillac will make, right? Because every vehicle moving forward will be, well, every new vehicle moving forward will be electric. Hey. So, wink, wink, what he's really saying is that these are collector's items. Yeah, especially the six-speed manual that came back. Go out and get one. Is the fact that the automatic is quicker? Doesn't matter. I don't care. But get the manual, right? Anyway, I've come to, I'll believe it when I see it, basically. No, they say a lot of stuff, and there are a lot of things out, out right now that point in that direction. But, again, knowing their history. Again, you have to remember, we're at the point now where they do not have a choice. <laughs> they don't have a choice and that's good they don't that's have a choice great. So I want them to succeed it's either evolve or die right GM at this point doesn't have a choice they've been spending the last 20 years chasing chasing everybody else right doing the same things that they're doing competing on somebody else's terms and the only way you're truly going to recover the cachet that you used to have is if you do something different and you do something bold and even though what their announcement came a little bit late in the grand scheme of things, I'm glad that they made the announcement and I hope feel like we're having the same discussion we had last week. I hope that they do well. But in the meantime, looking back, yeah, they're just, they've been caught flat-footed a number of times in the past by their competitors, Ford most recently, and by everybody else up to that point. And the funny thing is that like you look at when you look at both American manufacturers, over the last few decades, they've been beaten to different degrees, but they've been beaten at the at the game that they made, right? They made the game and the rules and all these other boys came in and beat them on those terms. So they have to do something different. And I'm hoping that like what we're not watching is the last gasp of American innovation. And instead it's sort of like, you know, the birth of something new, a renaissance, if you will. Well, so back to the original question. I mean, who's the innovator between the two? 
historically is Ford. I mean, really, like, not historically, I should say. Recent history would say it's Ford. Look at all the things that Ford has done compared to GM, right? And now the best thing that we can say about GM is that <laughs> they made the Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> for, they made the Corvette first and foremost, right? First and foremost, they made the Corvette. And then after that, it's like they made a bunch of, you know, reasonable European luxury car analogs. Like, <laughs> that's it. You know, and their trucks are still wildly competitive in their in their segments as well. And the funny thing is that if they weren't Marlin, then we would have a problem. We'd have a there would be a bigger problem afoot, right? Because if you look at it, there's Ford and there's GM, and in, in smaller ways, Nissan and Toyota in the truck space, right? You forgot Ram. Oh yeah, Ram, Ram. Sorry, Ram, Ram. There's Ford, there's GM, and there's Ram. And then there's Nissan and Toyota in, in, in a smaller in, to smaller degrees, much smaller degrees, right? The Koreans and the, the Europeans and the Japanese largely are not really looking for. They're not into that. They don't have to be because they've already forced the Americans out of the ca- the passenger car space. They could be though. It could be what they could. Be. So Nissan already has a Titan that's out. That's controversial to say the least, as far as you know how competitive it is with, with the, the lighter duty versions of the F-150, the Silverado at around 1500, that sort of thing. Toyota has the Tundra, which is, I think there's a new version coming out either late on this year, or early next year, that might eschew the, v, the V8 and go twin turbo V6. That's the talk anyway. But funny enough, the Koreans, Hyundai and Kia, they are at least talking about bringing a truck into it, uh, bring a truck to market. No, it's not going to be a full size truck because that market is, as has been displayed by Nissan and Toyota, that market is a, is a tough nut to crack. So we're not doing that. America. What Hyundai and Kia are planning to do is build or bring to market a lifestyle mid size truck that's more along the lines of Ridgeline than it is Tacoma. Colorado Canyon Frontier. Marlon. Hmm? Remember what we said last week? What's that? The Ridgeline is trash. The Ridgeline <laughs> The Ridgeline is the Ridgeline is trash, but again, Hyundai and Kia have been winning <laughs> as of recently. I mean, yeah, if so anybody I give them so if they decide to make a better Ridgeline, I'm all for it. <laughs> I am all for it. If any of them at this point can spin trash into gold. I would put money on, 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 the, on the Koreans. I'm all for that. So, you know, as strictly a truck, the Ridgeline is just not. It's just not. I can imagine Hyundai and Kia have a, they bought a Ridgeline or two and they have it in their R&D, in their R&D facility. And they're looking at it they're like, you know what the problem is with this? It's a good idea. They just didn't go far enough. Which is absolutely true. The Ridgeline just doesn't go far enough. It makes the first Ridgeline was something in the vein of the Aztec. It was forward thinking. It was forward thinking. and it, I love that one. And remember, Chevy had something similar with the Avalanche. I mean, at least in terms of like the idea, the, yeah. side, the exterior idea, right? Right, right, right. Chevy had something similar with the Avalanche. Then that was the first Ridgeline. And at least the first Ridgeline at first glance, looked kind of butch. So it was sort of desirable until you got inside of it. 
you mentioned very quickly the frontier, Marlon. You mentioned very quickly the frontier. And we were talking offline that about the frontier, about the new frontier in particular. And I just want to put this out on front so everybody else can hear. My first impression on the new frontier was that they didn't go far enough. Right. That was my first, 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 first impression. Just was like, you know, instant impression. But then I thought about it a little bit more and realized that if you look at the the frontier up to this point, right, the, the current frontier, the outgoing frontier, how popular it was, even though it was everybody knew it was really lying in the tooth and it was time to change. Years old, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Like you know, I think the first frontier came out in like nineteen nine or something like that. Then they, ref- then they had a new frontier in two thousand. And they redesigned it for two thousand five. Four, so it's five. been fifteen years. And they haven't, haven't touched it since. <laughs> but but but, especially in, in 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 the recently in the pro X in its pro X pro four X form, was a super capable and well not maybe not super capable but highly capable and desirable truck even though like it lacked a lot of the modern conveniences and, and, and technology that are, is now widely available. So that Nissan would look at that and say, you know what? The bones and the sinew of this thing is still really desirable, still really good. But what all we need to do is just throw some technology in there, update the styling, Bada boom, bada bing, update the materials, make it more comfortable, update the shocks, update the the, the, the suspension, update the um the steering wheel, update the feel a little bit, but still maintain the capability and the size, most importantly, the size at this point, right? And throw it back out there and see what happens. Cause a lot of the so-called small trucks, I guess what they're what, mid-sized trucks, man. I guess that's what we'll call them, mid-size, right? Yeah, they're not compact trucks anymore. They're they're, they're mid-sized trucks now. Mid-sized trucks. But even the mid, they're like, they're huge. They're huge compared to the current full-size trucks. You know what I mean? They're still, you know, if you... If you they're, huge, they're huge compared to what compact trucks used to be. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah. And they're, they're in comparable size to full-size trucks back in the 90s. So, and the Frontier coming in now would be among the, the smallest in that group still. But that's good because... I think automakers sort of missed the mark on this because when people said they wanted a good small truck, they were like, oh, you want a good truck that's smaller than an F-150? I don't know. Not just smaller, just like objectively small. Like we just want something that's small that can, that can still fit in a garage, you know, in a, in a standard garage. And Nissan is, still has that. Nissan is still going to have that small truck and it's not going to, they, they keep the same platform going forward. It's not going to grow too much. And, you know, you have a conveniently sized but still fully capable truck that can haul and pull as much as you want, as much as you need to. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, the new Frontier specs right now. And it's not that much bigger than previous version. I mean, it's what overall length is about is up six, you know, several inches. The width is just a hair wider and the height is actually smaller by about an inch. So the new Frontier when I first saw it, it's, a, it's really a breath of fresh air. And we touched on this before we came on, that Nissan didn't really have to change much of the bones because it was already highly capable, right? It comes with a new V6 because the previous 3.0, uh, I'm sorry, the previous 4.0 was rough. 
and not competitive, you know, efficiency wise. The 3.8 liter that it comes with now is more powerful, more efficient, smoother. It just, just brings more capability to the package. While the truck doesn't have the, the semi-autonomous systems that the current Nissan crop of vehicles have right now, it still comes with a lot of modern convenience that was missing in the previous package. Yeah. Right? So, so it is a breath of fresh air. And if anything, it brings something of an, not just an alternative to the Tacoma and the, the Colorado. For people who compare those vehicles, I'm like, you know what? I don't want anything as, you know, quote unquote big. <laughs> as a Colorado or a Ranger, the Frontier is a great choice. It's one of the, you know, as much as Roger and I bash on Nissan a lot, it's one of the, it's still one of the best vehicles that Nissan makes right now. Yeah. Even, even in its, even, even 15 years old, it is still a good vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was living in Atlanta and a coworker was, he had this old Mazda for a long while and uh, he was looking for a new car. And he said, when he told me he was in the, looking at the Frontier, I was like, good choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's funny because like I got in the truck and it was it was clean and it was a really clean example. I think it was like a 2014 and it was a really clean example, but it was still like I was still really impressed with it. You know what I mean? I was yeah. still really, really, really impressed with the truck and how it felt. And it, it still felt rough, but it still it felt like it could do shit. You know what I mean? And that's what he wanted the truck to do. He's a very he leads a he um my coworker at the time, he led a very active lifestyle. And um he was always like hiking and he was really an outdoors man. But he was also really frugal, and hell yeah, like if you know, if you're both of those things, I don't think you're gonna find a truck as good as a Nissan Frontier, you know, that meets all those stipulations. So, I think now with the current, with the new one coming in, like they're just picking up, yeah, it's just picking up where the where the old one is putting it down, you know, it's just like a and building on that package and just building on it, man, and. and <sighs> We like I said, we, you said Martin that we crap on on Nissan a lot, but the recent recent Nissan has sort of deserved it. More ways than one. And for a while, we were you know there was concern whether or not Nissan was even going to be able to survive. But it seems like the guys in charge put together a pretty strong plan and good designs. And what's coming out now is is demonstrative of their. Ch- I mean, they have an opportunity to come back and reclaim. The, the their throne as the prince. <laughs> yeah, I mean, case in, I mean, case in point, the the new rogue that just started going on sale within the last within the last few months or so, right? Compare that to the old rogue, which was just being sold because it was a compact crossover that could be sold. It was car, right? That was it. Some YouTube car reviewers were. What if you watched the episode, Roger? Some YouTube car reviewers reviewed the rogue and was like, they were trying to find things wrong with it, but and they they, they were like. <sighs> This is a good vehicle. <laughs> Geese, man. Shout out Savage Geese. Yeah, he's one of them. He's one of my one of my favorite YouTube car reviewers. And if you guys are like really into the nuts and bolts and technical aspects of any vehicle, you're gonna want to watch Savage Geese, right? He gives a very they give a very thorough review. But yeah, like Nissan hasn't been has never been one of his one of their favorite manufacturers. And when they took this car on, they pointed out the fact that it's actually not just good, it's really good. And it's not just competitive in its segment. It might be one of the best vehicles in its class. In a class as competitive as the compact SUV or compact crossover segment, that's saying a whole heap, right? The only major drawback that they could find with the car was the CVT, which no one, no one, 
Nissan CVTs are trash. Yeah, like like they tend to be deal breakers. You know, no matter how good the car might be, they tend to be deal breakers. The interesting thing here is that at the end of the day, they were like, even in spite of the CVT, even in spite of the CVT, this is a really, really good vehicle, a really strong competitor, right? You're either going to love it or hate the CVT. That, that might be a deal breaker, but it doesn't ruin the car. <laughs> I mean, bear in mind. I mean, bear in mind. The average. What they're saying is that everything else in the car is so good that the CVT, it can be taken or, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't ruin the whole experience of being in the car. It's easy to drive. It has all the technology that you could ever want. It has a Pro Pilot Assist. It has all the modern conveniences, Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. The, it has a digital this digital um, dash. It has a, a, a good size um, infotainment um, display. While it, the seats are, it has a zero gravity seats, the, the stitching, everything is just, is a level above where it was even two years ago. I mean, bear in mind, the average consumer will get into a rogue and see an automatic, like, oh, it's an automatic, good, perfect. And they probably won't even know it's a CVT, right? The rogue is Nissan's best, if not near the top, their best selling vehicle. It is their best selling vehicle, right? So that says a lot about what the Rogue means for Nissan. And I'm glad that they did their homework and made the Rogue the best compact crossover that it could be. Now, if you're a car person like us and you know what CVTs are, you, you're like us, you just hate CVTs, right? You can, you know, the best thing about a CVT, in my mind, is that it's unobtrusive. Like it does its job and doesn't interfere with me driving the car. That's the best thing about a CVT it, 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 is that it doesn't call attention to itself. But the but the problem is that the Nissan CVTs do call attention to themselves because they're so buzzy and I, I mean and it's funny. and they're not reliable. A, a friend of mine has a Pathfinder. I think he's been through. He bought it. I think he bought it brand new. And within the last six years, he's been through like three transmissions all before the car got to hundred hundred thousand miles. That's the other thing is that they're not is that they're not reliable. And the funny thing is that Nissan was sort of, well, I think the first automaker to real to, to, to go all in on CVTs, but their CVTs mm-hmm. haven't gotten any better. Whereas other automakers, they have CVTs and they're totally invisible. You know what I mean? They're, they, they work, they're reliable, um, relatively speaking, for the most part. And you don't get that sort of rubber bandy effect that is so prominent in the Nissan cars. Case in point, Honda CVT, that, that's in Dark Horde and, and, and Civic. Those are excellent transmissions. In the fact that they don't call attention to themselves, right? And I think one of the things that Honda does to make really improve on the the perception or the feel of driving the CVT is that they actually have a traditional first gear. Yeah, that's the major difference. Does it though, or is it, or is it Toyota that has that one? I think Honda. Uh, we'll get back to you on that, folks. We'll get back to you on that. That's the best thing I can say about any CVT is that it doesn't call attention to itself. Like I'm driving the car. It's shifting well. Like the Altima that, that I reviewed last year, yeah, I knew it was a CVT. It was a Nissan, but it didn't call attention to itself until I started really beating on the car. So, you know, for the average person who's driving an Altima, eh, they might not care one way or the other. These rent cars a lot for work. And I've been in a f- more than a few Rogues and um, Altimas and Maximas. And I remember the first time I drove the 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 then new but current Maxima, 
and it had the CVT. And I remember being really impressed with the car when I got in there. I was like, oh, this is really nice. It's really nice in here. I started freaking driving it. <laughs> what the hell is this? Like, you know, like, 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 like Nissan, <laughs> the transmission completely neuters the car. N- n- to say nothing of the handling. We're not talking about the handling. because, But I will say the handling was trash. But not talking about it. We're just talking about the power, the powertrain and the way how it. Marlon, I was so upset. I was like, if I wasn't already halfway out of Atlanta, I would have brought the car right back. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like, yo, just give me I, was about, I was I was about to ask, why don't you just bring the car back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I brought it back and be like, yo, just give me the minivan. Oh shit. <laughs> It was so crazy that it was so bad. And it, 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 to, to hear that they haven't really done much to really significantly or perceptively to really noticeably improve the car or the, I mean, the CVT at least is, is, is sort of, sort of heartbreaking, you know, at least the rest well, of the drug is nice. Well, I believe Nissan may have, might, might be coming back to their senses because the new Pathfinder, I think now comes with a, Regular good old slush box automatic transmission. Torque converter. If it ain't broke, guys. And automatic transmissions these days are so good. Yeah, exactly. It, it comes, according to car and driver, it ditches the CVT and it comes with a new nine-speed automatic transmission. Good. So hopefully, hopefully later um, later iterations of the, of the, of the Rogue is going to do with the CVT. Yeah. But yeah, guys, I mean, this was a free-for-all episode. Um, we touched on a bunch of stuff because we were just kind of, you know, <laughs> shooting the breeze if you will yeah it was kind of it was kind of hard to kind of like pin down any one thing this time around and let's just let's just, let's just talk about what's on our minds so this was probably like a greatest hits because we beat on nissan while complimenting them at the same time marlon didn't trash bmw at all not once this episode we even mentioned bmw i don't think only in i did but only in the context of cadillac being, yeah. being a competitor that was it Right, right, right. We didn't talk about BMW. Well, else we we didn't talk about Tesla. Woo! Isn't that crazy? No, we didn't. Even though we mentioned we mentioned the fact that General Motors and Ford are going to all electric vehicles. You didn't say the word. Later on down the road, there's not a word, not a whiff of Tesla in, in that. I'm really proud of us. I'm really proud of us, Marlon. <laughs> We're never fine. <laughs> oh boy! All right, all right, guys. There was a lot to unpack, and it was. Just a free for all. It was a fun episode where we were just kind of talking and we're like, oh, let's hit record. So hopefully you were able to kind of follow us as we went from one part of the automotive universe to the other part and then back again and up and down and whatnot. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Roger, any parting words? Yeah. Don't invest in GameStop stocks anymore, guys. I thought this wasn't an investing podcast. You asked me if I had any parting thoughts and I'm just giving you my parting thoughts. Okay. All right, you didn't. It didn't have to be about cars. Point taken. Also, catch me on uh, on Street Fighter on, on PSN. I play Street Fighter Five. Sure, you can shabble. Okay, guys. <laughs> with that said, <laughs> with that said, it is time to end. Again, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Find us at flyguydrives.com slash the Roadhogs. Hope you've enjoyed the content thus far, and we'll see you on the next one. Yep. Catch me on PSN. <laughs> okay, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs>